Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Uh, good morning. <laughs> How y'all doing? Good. good. So I made first service do it. I make y'all do it. You got to make a promise, okay, that you're going to respond. All right? You're going to be interactive. We're not in a library. God's not in a library. He's not a librarian, so he's interactive. He's fun. So unless you disagree, then just you can walk out or something. But uh, yeah, just take that to your prayer closet. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked um, about sharing what's in my heart today. And at the beginning of the year, I, I, I ran across a verse in Romans 5. Um, and it says that through one man's sin, uh, Adam that we had a master that was sin. Through one man's obedience, Jesus, we now have a new master in Christ, and we're called to reign over life. And I began to take that verse, and I said, God, what does it look like as a 25-year-old man to reign in life over finances, emotions, spirituality, you name it, every facet of life, what does it look like to reign over those things? Um, And so I, I feel like God began to show me some mysteries, if you will, of what it looks like to reign in these different areas of life. Um, and so one of those I feel like God's been showing me for the past two or three months, and I, I'm really excited about sharing with you, and I hope that it, it blesses you. Um, I'm just going to pray really fast. Today's Pentecost Sunday, actually, and um, if you don't know what that means or sounds really weird, it's just the Sunday that we remember that the Holy Spirit came in the upper room and um, and anointed the disciples, and then the book of Acts came, and we get to all be a part of that. So I'm just going to pray really fast. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for your people in this room. I thank you, Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would come, even as I speak, God, that your presence would enter into this room and tangibly be here, God, uh, amongst your people, and that you would anoint uh, your people. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak, Lord, and I ask that you would just help me and guide me as I do. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, Romans six seventeen and 18 says, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Verse 18 says, Now you are free from slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Okay, so um, does everyone in here know that Jesus is Lord? Okay. So if Jesus is Lord, which he is, then when you, when you come to Christ, at one point, sin was your master, okay? Sin was what controlled you. Whether you want to recognize that or not is up to you. But at one point, you needed a Savior, and you needed someone to give you a new master. And so you come th- through Christ, through the gate, who is Jesus, and you now have a master that is Jesus. So how many of you do you know that, how many of you have ever felt almost stuck in sin as a Christian? You felt like, I can't get free from this thing. Well, the truth is, is that's not true. Because it's not your master. Your master isn't sin. So you can say, well, I, I just, I'm addicted to pornography. Well, no, you're not. Well, what do you mean? I sure do feel like it. Well, it's not your master. If Jesus is your savior, he's your master. You need to lock your eyes on Jesus, and I promise you, he'll take that thing. If you realize that your master is Jesus, 
all those sins, I don't care what it is, it's anger. I can't get free from being mad. Well, that's, that's not true. Your feelings may tell you that. But the truth is, is that that's not your master. And some of you, you need to start declaring that over the person that you want to see set free or you're helping walk through that. They don't need you to call out their problem all the time. They need you to call them into a higher place and say, you know what, that's not your master. And I don't care how many times you fall, you're going to be set free and we're not going to allow you to stay there. So we go from a slave to sin into a slave of righteousness. And what I want to talk about today is I believe it's the next step, I get, if you will. I don't like saying levels, but for lack of words, the next level maybe in your Christian walk. That really sounds weird in some sense, but I, I feel like there's a mystery in, in what Jesus has uh, called us to. So uh, open your Bible. This is going to be our main text is John 15, and I'm going to just start reading. Uh, I'm going to read a, a, a chunk of Scripture, and then we'll, we'll go from there, okay? So John 15, it says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Real quick right there. If you're in Christ, you're going to get cut one way or the other. And so I just encourage you, if you produce fruit, be someone who's abiding in him, as we'll read, and produce fruit and allow him to cut you back. It may not feel very good in the moment. The Bible says that discipline isn't good in the moment, but it brings forth life. And so nothing's fun. No, like I, I really don't believe that God will even show us what it looks like on the other side of pruning, because I think he wants to walk through us in the midst of it. And once you get through it, you'll see. But you have to allow yourself to be pruned. You have to allow yourself, as you can see, to let his words cut you. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great uh, glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in in what a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. So what I I believe is I believe we start as slaves to sin and we move as slaves of righteousness, but then Jesus says something super profound that now we're invited into a place of friendship. And there's a couple differences in being a slave and being a friend. And I believe Jesus is looking for a people to call his friends that there's an invitation actually from heaven where he says, come be my friends with me. And we're going to go through kind of what this means. What does it look like to be a friend of God rather than just a slave of God? 
And we'll go through some scripture, but one thing that I think is a major difference that you can tell from the beginning from a friend and a slave is slaves, you have to be a good slave to become a good friend. You have to learn discipline. You have to learn, God, when you say something, I'm going. And I want to go ahead and just clarify this, that I'm never going to contradict. It's not one without the other. You can't be a friend and a slave and a slave and a friend. You have to be both. Jesus is always king, and you're never king. That'll never change. So I just want to clarify that. But I do believe that there's a greater place inside God's heart where he's actually wooing us and inviting us into. And I feel like the church has almost stayed stagnant because we've, we've said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a friend of God, but actually we're just really, really good slaves. And so a slave does something out of discipline, but a friend does something out of delight. And what I said in first service was this, like a married couple, if, if you, when you first get married, or, you have, or for me, if I have a friend, I tend to do things at first because I realize, okay, this is a discipline. I'm doing this because it helps them, it, it matures them, it, it strengthens our friendship. But then you go to a place where you do things out of delight. You do things because I love you. I long to be with you. I long to be friends with you. I long to give you part of my heart. So I delight in doing these certain things simply because you're my friend. And Jesus said that if you keep my commandments, you're my friend. So I believe that that doesn't change, but your motive of your heart changes when you become a friend of God. So um, we're going to take a a look at uh, Scripture. Um, Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. There's three people in the Bible um, that we're going to look at today that's called friends of God. It's Abraham, we're going to look at Moses, and we're going to look at David. Um, Genesis chapter 18, uh, we're going to start at verse 16. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. Just a backstory. Abraham's sitting on his tent, it says earlier in the chapter, in the hot of the day, and he sees three men off in the distance, and he realizes that one of them is the Lord. And it says that he cooks them a meal, he brings them a meal, and he sits with Jesus. And then it says that the men get up from their meal, and they looked out towards Sodom. And as they left, Abraham went, went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see their actions are as wicked as, as I have heard. If not, I want to know. We'll just stop right there for a second. I don't really know what to do with that verse very much because God's all knowing. But for some reason right there, he says, you know what? I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go see if what I hear, I don't know who he's hearing from, but if what I hear is true about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that there's something in God where he makes himself so relational that he actually invites Abraham into a discussion in this place. He says, you know what? I am God and I know all things. It's not like he lost his sovereignty, but for some reason he felt it necessary that he was going to walk with Abraham down to Sodom and see what was going on. 
And so he, he goes on in the scriptures. It says, The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the, the Lord remained with Abraham. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living in the city. You will still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city uh, for their sake. It goes on and goes on, and you know, many of you know the story. Abraham actually starts to barter with God and work him down to 10 people. And this story fascinates me because it's God and it's a man. But the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. And what I think in friendship with God, one thing that you will see is that friends influence friends. Friends actually have a say in their friends' lives. And this baffles my mind. A story that um, really, really impresses me and it's always challenged me is the story of when Jesus, his first miracle, was turning water into wine. And it says that they ran out of wine, and Mary, his mother, thought to herself, we need more wine. And so she went to Jesus, and she said, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he looks at her, and he says, no, my, t- my time hasn't come yet. It's not my time to do miracles yet. And so she for whatever reason, goes to the servants and says, do whatever he says. And then what happens? Jesus changes. Something changes. And he turns the water into wine. And that story has always amazed me. But what I actually think it is, is I think Mary carried a word for 30 years. It was in her belly, and then it was in her son, and it grew up into a man. And she knew the word that God had spoken over her life. And she built such deep friendship with God, such unity with the Lord that she pulled on heaven and she grabbed hold of God and said, God, there needs to be more wine. Because Jesus said, I don't do what my father, I only do what my father says. I only say what my, I only say what my father says. I only do what my father does. So in that moment, Jesus was saying, God's telling me it's not time, Mary. But then Mary does something and he changes his mind. And he says, you know what? I'll turn the water into wine. And that fascinates me because I feel like what God has shown me is that when you're a friend of God, you have influence over the world around you. You actually can talk to God as face-to-face. We'll see it in the scriptures. You can begin to pull on heaven, and the God of the universe becomes the person that you do life with, that you walk with. It says Abraham cooked a meal for the Lord in the scripture we just read. And one question I'd like to ask is, when is the last time you just sat with God? You cooked a meal and you sat alone and you didn't read your Bible and you didn't pray for the next breakthrough or the next revival or the next anything. And you just sat there. Nothing. No agenda. You said, I just want to be with my friend. Friday night, this last Friday night, it was an amazing night, but maybe not in the world's eyes. I was home, I was alone, I cooked a meal, and I said, Holy Spirit, I invite you, just come eat with me. And I leaned back on the couch, and I ate my meal on the couch, 
And I just sat with him for about three hours. I didn't have some crazy revelation. I didn't have some, something I was contending for and some breakthrough I wanted to see. I just sat with God. And I said, God, I just want to be your friend. I just want to know you. Just come be with me. Abide with me. And I just encourage you, like, yes, read your Bible. Yes, contend for things. Yes, intercede. Yes, press in. But the Lord spoke to me in that time. And he said, Dylan, this is what my church is missing. I'm just, I'm just looking for people that will just sit with me. They'll just treat me like a person. God didn't design you to just be a robot and just go through life. And I'm a robot. I do what I said and I do what I'm told and I never change. And this is it. He's saying, I I want relationship. So turn your Bibles to um, Exodus chapter 32. We're going to start at verse 9. So a little backstory with this one too. Um, Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's on the mountain, and the people get kind of agitated. They're they're just waiting, and they make a golden calf, and it's really bad. So we'll start at verse nine. Then the Lord said, "I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone." He's talking to Moses. So my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring to his people. Again, friends influence friends. Friends influence friends. If I only talked to Roy when I needed him, we wouldn't have a very good friendship. That sounds pretty much like something that I'm just using someone. It doesn't sound like an intimate friendship. It doesn't sound like something that belongs to me and I belong to him. If I only answer the phone, if I don't answer the phone when he calls me and I only call him, that's not a very good friendship. And Moses had, for 40 years, Moses built a friendship with God. Moses, it says, as was his custom, we're about to read in the text, he went away into a tent and he met with God. And the Bible says that Um, the Lord actually says to the prophets, I speak in visions and dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. I I speak to him face to face as a friend talks to a friend. 
And I think that Jesus is inviting his bride into a place where he's not, he doesn't want to come back for a slave girl. He wants to come back for a friend. He wants to come back for someone who says, I know you and you have influence on me and I have influence on you. And this sounds, it's just, it almost sounds too good to be true. And these are people in the old covenant. They don't have what you have. They don't have Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. Moses had to meet with God in a tent, and you can meet with God in your car. When's the last time you were driving down the road, and you just, you have to pull over because you can't stop crying because the presence of God enters the car, and your friend is there with you? Not for any other reason. Not for any other sake. Jesus turned water into wine, and guess what? No one got born again. No one got saved. No one spoke in tongues. No one rolled around on the floor. No one got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm just doing this because my friend asked me to do it. I'm just meeting with my kids. I just encourage you, there's a place in the depth in God's heart that's far more than just slavery. It's friendship. Another sign of growing up as a friend is that when you're a kid, your mom and dad have to tell you everything to do. Every single thing. You have to brush your teeth, wash your face, pick out your clothes. But if your mom at 28 years old has to tell you how to do those things, something's off. But there's a relationship that's, that's here for you where you start with God and he tells you everything to do. Right? You're disciplined. You're learning. How I learned to hear the God's voice is I picked up a bunch of trash. I would drive down the road. I was 16, 17 years old, and I just was fascinated that God wanted to speak to me. I was blown away to the point that my mom, it wasn't my salvation moment, but the first time I heard God, I told my mom, and she thinks that's, that's the time I got saved because I was so enthralled that the God of the universe actually wants to speak with me. So I began to build this discipline with him. When you speak, I'll move. I'd pick up nasty stuff on the floor. And nobody taught me that. I was just 17. I didn't have some awesome mentor that was pouring into me at that time. I had some amazing guys, actually. But no one told me to pick up trash. God did. And so as you grow, like Paul says, you go from milk to meat. And you begin to realize, wait a second, God's not telling me to do this. I'm just moving. I'm just walking. He's with me. When I walk in the room, he walks into the room. When I get alone, he's there. When I go outside, he's there because he's my friend. We're going to keep reading in Exodus. Go to um, chapter 33 now, verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take to the tent of meeting and to set it up from a distance of the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance um, of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until uh, he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover in its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. 
Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young men who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind the tent of meeting. I'm actually going to keep reading. Um, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom, whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably upon you. If it is true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Before we read that God was angry with his people, that Moses tried to pacify him. And that he actually said, I'm sending an angel. I'm not going because if I go with him, I'm going to destroy them all. But what did Moses do? Moses said, no, that's not my friend. That's not the one I know. The one I know won't leave us. And I don't want an angel. I don't care if you send another cloud. I don't care if it's another fire. If you don't go with us, we're not leaving. We'll never enter the promised land unless you come with us. And because Moses was a friend, He said, I don't want the angel, I want you. God said, I'll go with you. God said, okay, Moses, I'll go with you. That is amazing to me. That is amazing to me. That you can speak to God. And you can say, I don't care if it's an angel. I don't want the angel, God, I want you. And he says, okay. The other thing that's amazing about this is, It says that Moses knew God and God knew Moses. He knew all things. Jesus said up to this point in in John 17, Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in riddles. He he even said sometimes why he spoke in in the parables. And I would like to suggest that a byproduct of friendship with God is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I don't think that spirit of wisdom and revelation is a gift. I believe it's a byproduct of your relationship with him because all things have now been made known to you. So Moses said, you know me and I know you because I'm a friend. And Jesus says, now I speak to you plainly. In John 17, I speak to you face to face as a friend talks to a friend. Why? Because you know why it is God's asking you to do something. A slave doesn't know the why behind the obedience. A friend knows the why behind the obedience. Their motive of their heart change. They can have a dialogue with God. Why are you asking me to do this? Why are you asking me, God, to be this way? Why are you asking me? What's on your heart? And you know God so well that you can look at him, and for whatever reason, you can say, you know what, God, that's not you to destroy these people. Do you, does that, like, baffle you? Because it sure does me. That you can look at God and say, God, You're my friend, and I know your heart. And I know that you're not okay not going with us, and I'm not okay with you not going with me. So you're going to go with us. And he says, okay, I'll go with you.
God took Moses from a place of telling him everything to do. When Moses first started, when he, when he met the burning bush and he first began this relationship with God, God took him from a place of telling him everything to do like the child. Take off your shoes. Hit the rock. All the different things that God said to do. The littlest things, take off your shoes. To a place where Moses could talk to him face to face. Moses could have a dialogue with him as a friend talks to a friend. That's amazing. Again, you can't have one without the other. You cannot be a friend of God and not be a good slave. You cannot be a friend of God and not read this word. You cannot be a friend of God and not spend time alone with him. You cannot be a friend of God and not be obedient. All those things are so important. But one doesn't trump the other. You also can't be a friend of God to not just spend time with him alone for no other reason than just to know him. And I, I believe this. I feel this in my heart. Somebody needs to hear this. Don't just come to God with your breakthrough that you need. Don't just always come to God with what you want to see changed. What you want to see happen. What you want to see. I'm telling you, this revelation has so changed me because I, in my life, I know what God's spoken about my life. And I have those things. I have them written down. I read over them. But I've come to the place where the only goal of my life is to be his friend. The only goal in my life. So it's, it, it's almost like it's like, you know what? I, I really don't care about my wife because I'm a friend of God. And if I'm a friend of God and I'm abiding in God and his words are abiding in me and he influences me. And for some odd reason, he gives me the ability that my words can influence him. I'm not going to mess it up. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss my destiny. Do you understand the peace that comes when you actually begin to walk like Adam with God in the cool of the day? And you just wake up and you're like, yeah. Or you're sitting on your bed and you're on the laptop and you literally feel God come in through this wall and you shut the laptop and throw your phone across the room. You say, I'm here because my friend's here. Everything stops because my friend's here. And Jesus had the most profound prophetic word ever spoken over his life, ever. And he didn't once talk about it. He didn't once strive, God, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, and all these people are going to save. All he did was build friendship with God. That's the only thing he did. And it takes so much pressure off of us. All you have to do is enjoy him and let him enjoy you and let his words prune you. And sometimes that's going to hurt really bad, but, some, but it's going to create an outcome that's amazing. And it's this relationship. It's this co-laboring with him. Do you, the Bible says that you're called to co-labor with Christ, that you're co-heirs with him. You're seated in heavenly places. That's wild. Because Christ puts you in a place where he says, all I want is friends. The entire Bible, it's people that he's looked for people when he said, I just want friends. I just want people I can dwell with through the entire Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the earth and he says, I have no place to lay my head. Think about that. The son of God comes on the earth and says, I have no place to lay my head. But what if we as a people say, God, you can lay your head on me. 
Honestly, that's the greatest desire of my life. Everything else is second place. I'm telling you. And I thought I knew this, but there's more. I thought I had this, but I looked at my life and I looked at different times and I would see different things. And it was like, you just don't know me. So I lay it down. Back seat. Doesn't mean I forget it. The Lord, the Lord showed me a picture uh, last week. It was at 1245 at night. I was laying in my bed just praying. And the Lord said, Dylan, do you know what it looks like to steward your prophetic words? I wasn't even thinking about that. I said, no. And he showed me a picture of a robin with three little blue eggs. And the robin flew and landed on the eggs. He said, that's stewarding your prophetic words. You don't forget them. They're still there. All you do is just keep them warm. Just keep the little eggs warm. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you can't mess it up. You can't miss it. You're not going to fail the test. You're in him. The Bible says that all things come from God, go through God, and back to God. Where do you go where he's, there's no God? If I'm in that, where do I go that he's not there? If I'm seeking him, abiding in him, he's there. I don't know where my time is. The last thing I want to touch on is King David. And I'll close up with this. King David was a friend of God. King David had a lot of faults. Actually, if you read through the Bible other than Jesus, every person had faults. Every single person. Noah gets off the boat and he gets naked and drunk. Okay? Abraham lies. It's a mess. But God uses messy people. And he calls you out of that place. He doesn't say, I forgot about you. So King David, in 1 Kings 8.16, this is Solomon, and it says, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. Then Solomon says, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And I realized that David actually never built the temple. But it was in God's heart. It was in David's heart. It was a dream that was birthed in David's heart. And God looked at David and said, what do you want to do that's in your heart? You're my friend. What do you want to do? Because it says later in in Acts 15, the disciples are having a discussion about the Gentiles coming into the church. They're discussing this thing, and James stands up, and he quotes the book of Amos, and he says, God prophet, or the prophets prophesied about this back in, in the old time. <laughs> and he said that in the last days, the tabernacle of David will be restored. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, not Moses, the tabernacle of David. It was the dream inside of David's heart that Solomon fulfilled that God said, that's what we'll do. We'll do that. Because friends influence friends. Do you realize that David gained such a place in God's heart that the God of the universe said, my son will be called the son of David. Do you realize that? 
that on the throne of David, the Son of God will sit. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to be God's friend. Not because I want to have a throne named the throne of Dylan. That's not going to happen. But there's a place in God's heart that I can know God that way. I can have an influence in this world around me that I'm a friend of God. I remember the first time, this is the last story, the first time God asked me what I wanted to do. It was about five years ago. Yeah, fall of 2013. I was at Clemson University, and I know this is blasphemy to some of you, but I hated it. I absolutely hated Clemson. And I was in this terrible dorm room with no friends, and the Christians that I met with, I would talk about God, and they'd look at me like I had eight eyeballs. And it was just bad. It was just a bad time. And I was seeking God. I was praying. I was fasting. I was seeking God. I was like, God, tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And I'll never forget where I was sitting in the room. I probably should go back to that room and just sit with him. But I was sitting in the room, and God said, Dylan, what do you want to do? He asked me, clear as day, I'm not making it up. He asked me, what do you want to do, Dylan? And I didn't have a grid for that. He said, you won't mess it up. You want to stay? Stay. You want to go? Go. And I said, I want to go. So I left school. And I just encourage you, make the priority of your life to be a friend of God. Above everything else, above all the words in your life, above all the decisions that you have to make right and wrong, he's bigger than that. He's a friend, and he wants to be intimate with you. And to the degree that you desire to be intimate with him, he'll influence your life, and you'll have influence on his. And that blows my mind. And I will never stop seeking this message because it has changed my life. It takes all the pressure off because my best friend is God of the universe. He's my father. He's my master. He's all those things. But he says he's a friend. He said I can know why it is he's called me to do what what he's called me to do. That all things he's made known to me. So I just want to pray for us that the greatest desire in your life would be a friend, to seek God simply to know him. I'll be honest, if you look at my life, I'm probably not the most successful person in the room. I'm single, no kids, not a lot of money. I don't care because he's my friend and he'll take care of me. And I'll love him, and he'll love me. And I promise you, at the end, when I'm 80 years old, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Because when I'm 80, I don't know, 112 when I die, I'm just going to continue my conversation with my friend. Ask God how his day's going. I challenge you. My stepdad walked in the house the other day, and he said, you know, Dylan, I ask God how his day is every day. And I just said, that's amazing. To ask God, how's your day going? How are you doing? Because he's a person. So I just bless you. I bless you in Jesus' name. 
that you would so long to be friends of God, that friends influence friends, that the dreams in your heart, you would dream with God, that the pressure would be off you to get everything right all the time, but just have a confidence to know that your God is your friend and he's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I thank you, God, that you have invited us into this amazing and almost unreal place, but your word says it, and so it's real. And so I ask God today that we would know you more and we would become your friends and nothing would be more important to us than your presence and talking to you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.